Um, this morning, I have the honor of introducing our speaker this morning. Um, pastor Chuck Visser will be sharing with us. He's a retired pastor from the Free Church of over 30 years. And so um, he retired here from Minnesota after he finished last year uh, as a pastor, was retired. And so we are uh, glad to have you, um, Pastor Chuck, share with us. And so um, let me pray for you first, and then we'll, we'll get started. Lord, I lift up to you um, this morning for all of us that your spirit would rest. We pray that your word, your anointing would be on um, Chuck as he shares from your word. And I just pray that we would hear uh, you speak to us through that, through, through your word and for our children as well. So be with him, be with us, and just pray that we can encounter you in a, in a way that transform us today as we, as we hear your word preached. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, good morning. Welcome. Good morning. I want to encourage you to take your Bibles out this morning and open them, if you would, to Second Chronicles um, chapter 20. Um, if you did not bring a Bible with you, there is one in the book racks there, and it's going to be on page 441. Um, it's going to be important that you look at your, your Bible this morning because I'm going to be going through quite a bit of Scripture, and so uh, this will help immensely. I've entitled my message this morning, God, Our Eyes Are Upon You. Particularly, we're going to be looking at how do we trust God in the face of difficult circumstances. In the old movies in the early 20th century, they had one clip that always had me kind of mesmerized. And it was an old Model A going down the road, going all over the place, creening here and creening there, and finally it come up over the brow of a hill and went into the air, and when it came down, all four tires came off, and the vehicle just sat there. This morning, I want to in introduce you to one of the great kings of Judah. His name was Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat knew what it was to seemingly have all the tires come off. In the midst of doing what he was sure God wanted him to do, this happened. And this had to raise some questions in his mind. And so I will, as we prepare for what we're going to learn here from Jehoshaphat this morning, I think it's important that we begin by his introduction to us. In the 17th chapter there of 2 Chronicles, we have this said about Jehoshaphat as he comes to the throne. It said, he sought the Lord as his father Asa had. And Asa, by the way, was a very, very godly man. And he followed God's commands. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Later on in that same 17th chapter there, he had the book of the law taught throughout Judah, and God blessed that ministry. However, he was human. And we see this in the 18th chapter, where it tells us that he allied himself with Ahab, king of Israel, one of the most vile, wicked, depraved individuals that you could ever run into on the face of the earth. 
God obviously was not pleased with this. In fact, as we read further on, we see that Scripture tells us that God's wrath was upon him because he made this alliance. But also, we're told that he experienced God's grace because it also says right after that where it says God's wrath was upon him. It says that God's mercy also was upon him because as God looked at Jehoshaphat, he said this of him, you have done some good things. There's some good in you. God hasn't given up on you. And God is saying basically to Jehoshaphat, I'm going to show my grace towards you. Following that experience, Jehoshaphat goes on and establishes a very godly judicial system in Judah. It seems like things are going well, and then all of a sudden, an event comes into his life. He has the enemy outside the walls of Jerusalem, still a ways away yet, making their way towards Jerusalem. And it's at this point that we come to our text this morning. It says, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Munites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah. This morning is we come to this text. We're going to see that when we've sought God and tried to do his will, and the wills seemingly come off, that more than any other time in our lives is a time to put unreserved trust in God. As we look at the dire circumstances Jehoshaphat and Judah came up against, we discover three major fundamental reasons why we must trust God when seemingly the wheels come off. First is that God is the only hope in a seemingly hopeless situation. Imagine being Jehoshaphat. You're going about your business. It's a normal day. And all of a sudden, messengers walk in. And they say, King Jehoshaphat, we've got a problem. This is our problem. A vast army is coming against you. And the picture we have here, I believe, is that as you look out over what is coming at you, you see the front of it. You see the middle of it. You look as far back as you can see and you see more of the enemy coming and there's no end to them. I don't know about you. Uh, that would make my heart flutter just a little bit. 
And I believe that this is the case with Jehoshaphat, that as he hears this, particularly when he learns that this vast army is getting closer and closer to Jerusalem. It's in, in Gadai, which is not very far from Jerusalem. It won't be long before they will be laying siege probably to Jerusalem, surrounding it. And if you know anything about sieges in biblical times, they were brutal and they were vile and just um, all kinds of bad things happened when you were under siege. Now, what do you do under them circumstances? I really love Jehoshaphat's approach. It says, first of all, that he was alarmed. He did not minimize the situation. He did not say, oh, well, you know, it's just some of the natives getting restless. But rather, it says, he set up and he paid attention. He began to think, what was the first thing he needed to do? And he came up with a brilliant idea. And that is, I am going to inquire of the Lord. I am going to seek God. I'm going to seek his heart. I'm going to see what his plan is in this situation. How he wants to deal with this. Moreover, Jehoshaphat calls a fast for all Judah. So he brings in the whole nation into this. He says to them, we need to get on our knees. We need to begin to seek God. He needs to be priority number one, even above filling our faces with food. And for someone that really loves food, um, I have to tell you that um, for me to fast, I have to think that it's important and that it's accomplishing something for God's purposes. And so they begin this process of seeking God. And it says here, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah. 9-11 and 2001 is a day that will live in my mind forever. Two days prior to that, at my church in Iowa, where I was pastoring at the time, we had had a Sunday where we had a concert of prayer. It was a rich time of spending time in the Word, of praying for our church, our congregation, our community, our state, and our country. But I remember when 9-11 happened, as we saw those planes hit the, the Twin Towers and came to the realization that we were under attack. I can still remember, because I had been out for a prayer walk that morning um, prior to coming to the office, and when I um, saw what was transpiring when I went home for breakfast that morning, I realized that we as a nation was, were in a lot of hurt. That afternoon, early afternoon, the president of our ministerial association got a call. Came from the superintendent of schools. And this is what he said to the president of the ministerial. 
I want you to get all the pastors together in the community. I want you to come to the school, to the gymnasium, and I want you to lead our community in prayer. <laughs> so much for the separation of church and state. They saw, we saw, everyone saw, we needed God more than anything else at that moment. And we see here with Jehoshaphat, he recognizes this. He then begins to take on a role that God had called him to. And that role to begin was, was not to set himself before the people, but to set God before the people. Let's return to our text now to verse 5. It says, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God who is not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before the temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and you will save us. When we come to experiences like this, one of the first things I believe that needs to take place is we need to remind ourselves of God's promises. I've been told that in the army, drill instructors have a simple little rule of thumb they go by. It goes like this. Tell them. Tell them what you told them. And then tell them again. When we come together to worship, one of the things that I experience regularly is we talk about the greatness and the wonderfulness of our God. We talk about his holiness and his power, and I could go on and give you all the different attributes of God that come to mind. This is why it is so critical that we as God's people make sure that we spend time in worship together. As we come together on a Sunday morning and you begin to sing praise to God and you begin to share in the word with one another, it once again reminds you of the things that sometimes slip our mind. It makes you understand how great your God is. And as we look at what Jehoshaphat does here with his people, he reminds them of God's promises to them. But most importantly, he makes them understand that we're in this together. He says basically that our God is in charge and he has a record of faithfulness. He has never once let his people down. Our God rules over the ites in our world. In this case, it was the Moabites, the Ammonites, 
and the Munites. We see also that he points out to God's people that their God is invincible. Anything he decides to do, anything he wills, is going to happen. No enemy on the face of this earth is ever going to make it so that does not happen. Moreover, he informs them, he reminds them of the fact that they have an inheritance that God has guaranteed to them meaning that no enemy on the face of this earth is ever going to take it away from them. We see there in the eighth verse of our text, he says this of them as a people and of Israel in general. They have lived in this wonderful gift that God has given them, the promised land. They have lived in it, and they have built in it a sanctuary for your name. And so they are in a very privileged position because as a people, not only do they have a temple to worship in, but the very presence of God is there with them when they gather to worship. And then in verse 9, he reverts back to something that happened in Israel's history. When the temple was dedicated, Solomon gave a dedicatory prayer just prior to the temple being opened for worship. And in verse 9, this is what he prayed. If calamity comes upon us, what's the situation? Calamity is upon us, folks. Whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress. And what? You will hear us and you will save us. You see what Jehoshaphat has done here at this point. He has pointed out to them that even though they're in this situation, God has made a promise that he is going to save them, that he is going to hear them. Now, I find it very instructive that after Solomon prays that as part of his dedicatory prayer, as he finishes What does this say happens? It says fire comes down from heaven and consumes the thank offering and the burnt offering. And then the glory of God comes in and permeates the temple and becomes so intense that the priests have to leave the temple because it's just so overwhelming. The truth of the matter is that if our lives are wrapped up in God, there's no such thing as a hopeless situation. The truth of the matter is that God is always going to work in the move on the behalf of his people. 
The second major fundamental reason why we must trust God when the wheels seemingly come off is because God is always right. I think of a little story I heard of a couple going through, through marital counseling. They were having some major conflicts in their marriage. In the midst of this, the husband in frustration turned to the counselor and he says, I just can't stand it. Every time we get into an argument, my wife gets historical with me. The counselor kind of scratched his head and said, Don't you mean historical? To which the husband replied, No, historical. She remembers everything wrong I've done for the last 20 years. As we look at what is transpiring here, it is beautiful. It is wonderful when God gets historical with us. We see in this situation, as Jehoshaphat tries to make sense of all of this, in verse 10, he says, But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they were repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. As we look at those verses, it seems to me kind of like Jehoshaphat at first is kind of blaming God for what had happened. He's saying, basically, God, if you had allowed us when we were taking the promised land to deal with Ammon, to deal with Moab, to deal with the Munites or the men of Mount Seir, we wouldn't have this problem now. It would have been taken care of back there. And yet, Jehoshaphat says this. God, you are going to keep things in the proper perspective. God, you are going to judge them. He asks this question. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? Of course God will. And then Jehoshaphat says this. For we have no power to face this vast army. He recognizes that with what he has on hand right now, he's totally powerless. In fact, he goes so far as to admit, God, I'm at a total loss here. I do not know what to do. But in this situation, God, I want you to know my eyes are upon you. In my first pastorate, I had a situation where 
I believe it was about 1.30 on a Saturday morning. The phone rang in the parsonage. That's never good, usually. I answered the phone, and there's a father, one of my deacons, on the phone. His son, who was 18 years old, had been out on his motorcycle. Uh, I think he probably had a few drinks that he shouldn't have. Uh, he was going too fast down this road, went to go around a curve, lost control, and hit a utility pole. His dad asked me if I would come in and be with the, the family. I said, sure. And as fast as I could get prepared and get dressed and get out the door, I was on my way. It wasn't too long before I was at the hospital. I got there just as the surgeon who was going to do surgery on this young man came in. The first words out of that surgeon's mouth were, well, I hate to say this, but I think we're going to have to amputate that leg. Now, to this day, I have no idea what possessed me, but this were the next words out of my mouth. Medical science has showed us what you can do. We're going to show you now what God can do. We're going to pray about this. It was amazing. Over the next six hours, periodically this surgeon would come out, and he began by saying, um, rather than amputate the leg, he come out, and he says, well, we might be able to save, um, save this leg, but it will be non-functional. A little while later, he says, he came back out, and he says, well, um, good news. We're going to make it so that that leg can move a little bit, at least. This was the way the conversation went. When it was all done, he said, this young man is going to be able to walk on that leg. When it was all said and done, the healing had taken place. That young man walked without even a limp. When we trust God, when we look to him, he does over and above what we can ask or think. Verse 13 of our text tells us that all the men and their wives and their children stood before the Lord. And as they stood there, they stood there in prayer. And I believe they stood there also in expectation of what God was going to do on their, their behalf. Now, the third major final reason why we must trust God when the wheels seemingly come off is because the battle is the Lord's and not ours. As we look now at verses 14 through 21, we're going to go through this rather rapidly. But I think you will see what is transpiring here. And beginning with verse 14, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jehel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and a descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. And so what is happening now is you have Judah basically within Jerusalem. They have the protective walls around them. And as they're seated there, God sends 
a new messenger with new revelation. And that is that he has another plan for God's people. And it begins with this. He says, as God's people, you need to listen. You need to learn to do what God says. Fear and discouragement can no longer be a part of your experience. As he says here, listen, King Jehoshaphat. And when we talk about listening in Scripture, it's about the idea of not just hearing words, but taking them in, thinking them, processing them, and then beginning to live them out. Now recognize that all that is happening here is in preparation for what God has ahead. And that is that he's going to tell those in the city of Jerusalem that it's time for them to step outside of those protective walls, to begin to venture out and to deal with the enemy as God directs them. And so he tells Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah to listen. This is what God says to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. And then he gives them five commands that he's going to expect them to take in, think through, and begin to act upon. Number one. He says, tomorrow, march down against them. In other words, the enemy. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeru. You will not have to fight this battle. Command number two. Take up your positions and stand firm. And see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Command number three. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Notice this is the second time we've had that. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Another way we can say that, because whenever you have repetition in Scripture, it's an emphasis. You could read it like this. Stop being afraid. Stop being discouraged. And then he says this. Go out and face them tomorrow, for the Lord will be with you. Now Jehoshaphat, as he hears that pronouncement, that new revelation from God, it says he bowed with his face to the ground. The people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. And then strange things begin to happen. Wonderfully strange, however. Some of the Levites from the Korathites and the Korathites stood up and praised the Lord with a very loud voice. The next day, early in the morning, they left the desert of Tolok. They set out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, 
Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. Now get this battle cry. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. Now, if you were an expert in military functions, the way you were to run an army, I doubt very much if very many of you would have this as your battle cry. But what do we see happen? As they are saying this, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Where the enemy is, something begins to happen, something very weird. The Ammonites and the Moabites, for no apparent reason, rise up and totally annihilate the men from um, Mount Seir. And then, almost on cue, they turn and eliminate each other. At this time then, Judah and his soldiers are making their way up the paths of Zez. They're headed now for the desert of Jeruel. They come to a place where there is an opening just before you get to the desert. As they look out there, as far as they can see, all they see is dead bodies all over the place. They go out there and they begin to retrieve all the spoils of war. It takes them three days to collect all this. On the fourth day, they meet in the valley of Barakah. Barakah is another word for praise. And they begin to praise God for what he has done. Jehoshaphat then comes and meets them there. And Jehoshaphat then turns and takes them back into Jerusalem. And as they are going into Jerusalem, they're praising God at the top of their voice. And finally, they all meet back at the temple and have another time of praise to God. Could you ever write a better ending than that? I don't think so. I'm going to close with this this morning. I personally have had times in my life where I was convinced I was following the Lord, that I was doing those things I ought to be doing. And yet in the midst of that, things happened that were kind of catastrophic at the point, at the time. And I can remember thinking to myself, what is wrong here? How have I blown it? How have I caused this to happen? And eventually I came to the realization that it wasn't any of those things. It was just one of those things that God allowed to come into my life. And in every one of those situations, he brought me through and gave me reason to say 
God has done great things over and above what I could ever imagine. And I've seen this even happen in churches. I praise God for what he's doing here at Trinity Evangelical Free Church. But I realize that as we're blessed beyond measure, there's going to be things where we don't plan for them, things that are going to come up. At that time, we are going to have to be like Jehoshaphat. We're going to have to put our total trust in God and in God alone and then stand back and let him work it out. It may not be the way we do it, praise God, um, because if God does it, we can be sure we're going to have great success. We're going to see him do great things beyond our wildest imaginations. Are you looking for that to happen? I am. I'm not looking forward to the problems, but I'm looking forward to the blessings. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Father, do thank you so much for this word from you this morning. I thank you for the way that you have taken this story, this account, and made us realize that you are a great and wondrous God. Father, we praise you and we thank you that there is nothing that you cannot do. Father, we lay ourselves before you. We are at your disposal. We ask that you would use us to bring praise and glory to yourself. For I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.